We're going to jump into our Psalm song series. I'm excited with what Pastor Jeff shared with us in the first service. You know this song. You can sing along with it. make me feel so gosh darn happy to hear the worship team do that song, but it was amazing, and um, 
My name is Jeff. I'm the assistant pastor here. I always enjoy having the opportunity to do a psalm song, even though I always struggle to choose one. Because um, you probably know that song, whether you realize it or not. It, it might be on in the coffee shop as you're sitting around. If you were in Meyer on Wednesday night, it came on the radio. Uh, it might be on some like obscure TV show on the CW or something like that. I don't know. But you've probably heard that song, even if you've heard little bits and pieces of it. But that song's a ba- uh, by a band called Keen. Um, Keen are really well known for a song called Somewhere Only We Know, so now you have a reference point for who Keen is. But Keen is a British band from a, a little town called Battle, East Sussex, in uh, the southeast corner of England. And uh, Richard Hughes, who's the drummer of Keen and wrote this song, said the following about this song. He said, Everybody's changing is definitely world weary. Hang on to that phrase. Everything's changing is definitely world weary. I wrote that at a time when we were quite low. We had given up our London dream and we had to slink back to battle. We were feeling really isolated as a band. All our friends were making their way in the world and we were back at square one. Also, everyone that I knew was jettisoning who they had been and was trying to be cool. I didn't know whether to go with that or not. I decided to stay my geeky self. But Let's just go back to that world-weary thing, because how many of us feel world-weary? Even if we don't feel it right now, we feel it sometimes, right? How many of us feel like no matter what we do, we can't seem to make things different, we can't seem to make things better? We, we feel like everyone and everything is constantly moving and changing and shifting around us. We feel like life is leaving us behind, or we just can't catch a break, or we're just struggling to keep up in general. Um, on a personal level, some of us this week, if you were within that certain corridor through Waco and parts of this county, um, which we were too. It hit our neighborhood pretty good. Uh, We're feeling a little bit extra world weary because our houses are um, damaged and we've got a lot of work to do. And there are contractors coming by our house trying to give us estimates, ringing the doorbell in the middle of our toddler's naps. Okay, I'm not salty or anything. Um, And we're having to deal with phone calls and all this kind of stuff. Now I say that looking at my wife who's been doing all that for us. Thank you. Um, But that being said, we're kind of feeling that right now, right? But here's the thing. God has a lot of time and a big heart for people who are world weary. And there are a number of people in scripture who were at some point or another feeling pretty world weary. I think about Moses and I think about him leading the Israelites out of Egypt and how much grumbling and complaining they did. And I'm sure it made Moses pretty weary. I think about him accepting the call from God or hearing the call from God and trying to give God all his reasons and excuses for why he shouldn't be the one to do it. And he felt weary in the middle of all that. Um, I think about the, the prophet Jeremiah, who is uh, well known as the weeping prophet. Um, and Tony, Pastor Tony read a, a scripture from the book of Lamentations, which Jeremiah also wrote. Now, imagine that you write a book and you decide to call it, I'm miserable, right? That's kind of the, kind of the deal that was going on with Lamentations. Um, Paul, even the Apostle Paul, Mr. Church Planter, Mr. Apostle, Mr. I rejoice in my sufferings and I'll do everything for Jesus and whatnot. Um, Mr. I'll sing worship songs while I'm in prison and an angel's going to come and break us out. Even he felt this way. He said in, in, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he said, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Okay? So people feel this way. God has time for this. But we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, this morning with a guy, and I'm not sure if he was world-weary himself or if he was just aware of how these kind of things work, but we're going to spend some time with uh, Solomon. And if you're not familiar with Solomon, uh, if you are familiar with King David, uh, understand that Solomon is King David's son. Solomon is King David's son via Bathsheba, 
who David saw one day bathing on the roof and said he had to be with her. And so he got with her and he sent Bathsheba's husband off to die in battle. And then he married her and they lost the first kid. Uh, but then they had uh, Solomon after that. Okay, so that's where we get Solomon. In, in, in 2 Chronicles 1, Solomon is being established as the king of Israel. He is taking over for uh, King David, and, and God appears to Solomon at night uh, and, and says to him, ask what I shall give to you. And Solomon, who's considering this new office, this new role that he has, he says, well, God, this is a big task, and anyone who's going to do this and do it well is going to need a lot of wisdom. So I'll just take some wisdom, please. And God says, because you've asked for that and you didn't ask for money or material possessions or anything like that, then I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to bless you with all these other things. So that's who Solomon is. Solomon is like the wisdom guy. He, he wrote three different books of the Bible. He's known for writing Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes, and this will blow your mind, the Song of Solomon, okay? Uh, also known as the Song of Songs at times. But on top of that, in addition to writing three whole books, Solomon also wrote two Psalms. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of find that a little bit annoying, right? Solomon is like super smart, good at everything, apparently. And in my, in my mind and in my humanity, it's like you should only have capacity for so many skills and talents. Like you shouldn't be able to be athletic and smart and business savvy and musical and on top of it, just be a really nice person. Like those things just don't feel like they should all fit together to me. And yet here's Solomon. And so we have to deal with that. Okay, but Solomon wrote Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. And it's Psalm 127 where we're going to be today. So if you have a Bible or your Bible app and you want to go there, I want to encourage you to do that right now. Um, but if you don't, we will always put it up on the screen so that you can follow along. But we're just going to read the first two verses of Psalm 127 today. This is what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he, referring to God, gives to his beloved sleep. Now, as I read this, this kind of reminds me of the introduction to Ecclesiastes, if you've not read that. Um, Solomon starts off by saying, vanity of vanities, vanity, all is vanity. Okay? He seems pretty into or, or, or adamant about pointing out the things that are vain. And we see that in this psalm, too. We see three things that Solomon says can be done in vain. He says, building a house, staying awake and watching over the city, and rising up early, going to bed late, eating the bread that you worked hard for. All of these are pretty hard work, and they can be done in vain. Now, in a literal sense, I don't know about you, but put yourself into this psalm. I can, I can relate to one of those three things, because I'm not a particularly good builder, okay? I'll help you if I can. I'll swing a hammer. I'll, I'll, I'll run a saw, whatever you want to call that. But I am not going to be the mastermind behind putting things together for you. Sorry, that's just not uh, a skill set that I really have. Um, I'll try my best, but I won't be able to do it very well. I'm pretty bad at staying up all night. Okay, um, tonight, it's Sunday night. And so every Sunday, my wife and I have a tradition of uh, baking a frozen pizza. Or sometimes when we're feeling fancy, we go get a Papa John's. Um, and we make popcorn, and we drink Pepsi, and we watch an action movie, like a kind of B-grade action movie. Um, and I guarantee you that about 60 minutes in, just when it's getting good, is when I'm going to fall asleep, okay? I am just prone to falling asleep. It's, it's just kind of who I am. But I can relate to number three, because back in my coffee shop days, I worked the clopening shift, where you stay at the shop, 
and you close up at night, and then you get up really early and you come in the next day. And anything that's wrong is your fault because you closed the shop. Okay, it's just kind of easier that way. So I can kind of relate to that. And you get to take a great nap in the afternoon. And it, it's wonderful. Anyway, the distinct thing in this psalm is that Solomon does not say that these things are vain in and of themselves. But what is vain is doing them without God. Because you see, God is a builder. God is a watcher. And God is a worker. And we don't have to look any further than creation to see that those are the attributes of God. Those are some of his attributes anyway. Uh, We see God the builder and the worker. And we also see the fact that God watches over and sustains creation even to this day by his very word. So it follows that you and I, being made in the image of God, will desire to build and to watch over and to work. It's an expression of the fact that we're made in God's image. But if we structure our everyday lives without the person and the presence of God, it's all in vain. Okay, that song you heard, Everybody's Changing, it's a song about the idea that the world keeps on turning. Things keep on moving. Some people go forward, some people go backwards. Someone gets a promotion, someone else loses their job altogether. Someone did home improvement, somebody else experienced a hailstorm. The world keeps spinning around. Life happens. Things get better. Things get worse. Solomon is well aware of that. He would agree with it, but he would also offer us a solution in the middle of all that, which is God himself. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these three things. We're going to take building, watching, and working. We're going to talk about what they represent, and we're going to talk about the difference that God makes in each of those activities. So the first thing that we see in the psalm is the act of building. And building, I believe, represents the search for significance. Okay? We want to do something that matters, right? We want to create something that lasts. We want to have some sort of legacy, whether it's our work, our art, our families, our children, our our friendships, our, our relationships of any kind. We want to be remembered for something. But to be remembered, you have to first be noticed. And I think somewhere in the fear that that we seem to have as a human race, that the, the fear of being alone is linked, I think, to the fear of being unnoticed. You just think the world's going to pass you by and nobody's going to notice you. Our friends in Keene expressed it this way. I tried to make a move just to stay in the game. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the idea that you desire as much as anything just to stay in the game, just to have someone notice you, appreciate you, love you, recognize you, whatever it is. But the issue is, is that sometimes we do that and it comes at a great cost. Okay, sometimes we, we give ourselves to our work, for example, but at the expense and the cost of our family. Sometimes we give ourselves to a relationship, but it comes at the cost of our relationship to Jesus. Sometimes we give ourselves to other people at the expense of our own health and well-being. Or sometimes we, we, we seem to be so afraid of what we might miss that we fail to commit and we just want to keep our options open at all times. This is also called FOMO. Right? And if you don't know what FOMO means, it means fear of missing out. F-O-M-O, FOMO. Okay? And I believe that FOMO is a killer. I believe it is a joy sucker. It, it takes our joy, our satisfaction, our well-being, and it helps us to actually play ourselves out of the game. But if you, if you extrapolate it out, I think FOMO kind of broadly falls into one of two categories. Either on the one hand, it's an attempt to invest a little bit into a lot of different categories and areas of your life. Kind of like playing whack-a-mole with your life. You want to give a little bit of time to your friends, a little bit of time to your family, your hobbies, your work, your relationships, your spiritual life, whatever. But in the middle of it, you never really satisfy any of those things. You never really scratch the itch and, and give that thing what it really needs. Or 
On the other hand, it's an attempt to find the absolute best option, which a lot of times ends up resulting in no option at all. Okay? How often do we want the perfect job, the perfect education, the perfect spouse, where we're looking for the perfect house, the perfect life, but in the middle of that, we missed something that was really, really good, and we wind up with absolutely nothing. Let me use this as an, an illustration, and as, as all analogies are, it's a little bit broken, but um, think about it like this, okay? I kind of keep coming back to my, my Sunday nights with my wife eating pizza and watching movies, so I'll just use that as an example, Okay. How many of you, when you are trying to figure out what you're going to watch, you open Netflix or Peacock or whatever streaming service you're looking to use, and you see something that looks good, and you're like, maybe we'll watch that, but let's keep looking, right? Then what happens? 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by, I don't know how much time goes by, but you have passed up this perfectly good movie that you could have watched, and you could be a good third of the way done with it by now, because you're just trying to find like the right movie for that night, right? You could be a lot further along if you would have just made a decision. Okay, here's the deal. We are made in the image of a glorious God, and God is jealous for his own glory. And so it makes sense that we, being made in his image, want to have some, sort, some sense of, of glory or otherwise significance. Okay, Our desire for significance comes from him, and so it follows that the significance is going to be from him as well. Uh, our significance comes from knowing and loving the God that we were made to reflect. It's why I love the line that, that we sang in that very first song. It says, there's nothing better than you. And I think that is really intentional word choice. Okay? It doesn't say, there's nothing better than the stuff that you do for me. It's not, it's not, there's nothing better than the stuff that you give to me. It's nothing better than God himself. He is the ultimate. He is the goal of that relationship. The purpose of humanity is to know God and to love God. And so when we take our search for significance outside of God, we will miss it. That's what Psalm 127 is getting at. We can work on building the house. We can work on building this life that we want, but unless God builds it, we're working in vain. It's pointless. Think of it like this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, my, my daughter turned two and my sister decided that she was going to send her this like play oven thing that you have to assemble and put together. And um, there's a lot of screws and parts and things that you have to do. And so I spent the afternoon trying to put it together. And my daughter is also at that age where she wants to kind of be a part of everything that you're doing. She's like, I can do that. I'm, I'm big enough to do that. So she takes the screwdriver with the screw on it, and she is kind of pretending to put the screw in. And I say pretending on purpose because she, she doesn't have the coordination or the ability to do that yet. It just, it doesn't click. The concept of a screw, the concept of construction and a screwdriver, none of that makes sense to her yet. But she wants to be involved and she wants to be a part of it. So technically, she labored on the oven, but I built it, okay? It's kind of like that. Uh, it's kind of like that as we're, as we're laboring through this life in our work, our relationships, families, marriages. It's God ultimately who builds it and who can make it last. And that's why we sing things like, I will build my life upon your love because it's a firm foundation, okay? Let's talk about watching. The second thing that he says, watching. And I think watching represents the search for identity. And those, it's, it's closely linked, but it's slightly different to the search for significant. We, for, we want to not just be noticed and to be significant, but we want to play a specific role. We want to have a job to do. The watcher, the watchman, was the person who stood guard over the entire city, and they would stay alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic throughout the entire night, if you know that camp song. 
Okay? They would stay awake to keep an eye out for friends or people that they were anticipating coming back into the city to let them in. They would also keep an eye out for foes or people that they were not expecting so that they can be on alert. They had a job to do, and it was watching over the city. Okay? You and I like to have a clear and defined role in our lives, in our work, in our relationships, friendships, community, all those kind of things. And oftentimes, it can be really closely associated with the skill or an affinity that you have. Okay? How many of you are the first person that somebody calls when they need something fixed or repaired or otherwise looked at, right? We, we have a kind of job to do. And in, in my life, I have people for different things, right? I have people that I'll talk to about movies, people I'll talk to about music, people I'll talk to about soccer, people I'll talk to about theology and spiritual things, things people I'll talk to about raising a family, having kids, being married, all that kind of stuff. They're not necessarily all the same people, but in my case anyway, the more those things overlap, the closer a friend that you and I are probably going to be, just because we can share more and more of our lives together. But you can't be everything to everyone, okay? Not even my wife is everything for me. Like, she can't, she can't satisfy everything that I want to do. She's not interested in all the same things that I do, okay? When we sit down and we're eating our pizza and watching our movie, she does not give a hoot about who the director is and their relationship to the supporting actress in that movie and all the different movies they've done together to that point. She's just not into that. It's a hobby of mine. It's not a hobby of hers, okay? Similarly, she's really into flowers, and I've just got to be honest, I don't get flowers, Okay, it just, it doesn't click in my head. I just don't get it, but she loves it. It's her hobby. I accuse her of making up a new flower every day because when I grew up, there were roses, carnations, and tulips. And now there's like ranunculus and status and all the other kind of crazy things that she grows and I've never heard of in my life. But that being said, it's not my thing. I'm not really into it. And we can't be everything for each other necessarily. Okay, here's the deal. Identity is a useful thing, but it can be a dangerous thing. Because on the one hand, we want to be everything to everyone. We want to be everything for someone. But on the other hand, we risk pigeonholing ourselves and, and, and refusing uh, the times where, where God is asking us to step outside of what's comfortable for us because we wanted to say, well, that's not my thing. I'm not used to doing that. I'm not interested in that. I'm not good at that. I'm not going to do it. And in that, we risk never growing. Okay. If you're convinced that you are the person to help in practical ways, maybe you'll look at somebody's car, maybe you'll mow their lawn, maybe you'll cook a meal for them, maybe you'll help somebody build or whatever that is, but you are also convinced that you're not going to be the person to give anybody any life advice. You're not going to give any insight about your marriage, you're not going to give any, any insight about raising your kids or your community, anything like that, then you'll never grow in it, Right? You'll never get stretched if you never get into the place where you're just a little tiny bit vulnerable. You're just a little tiny bit outside of your comfort zone, and you really, really need God and his, his spirit, his wisdom, his power in that situation. If we always stay inside our comfort zone, we'll never get there. So here's my question to you, and I believe this is God's question to us as a congregation in this year 2023, is are you available to God, right? That's our word this year. Are you available to God? If you are, are a you know, charismatic, forward-facing people person, will you accept going behind the scenes to do something that nobody's going to know about, nobody's going to notice, and nobody's going to appreciate if that's what Jesus asks you to do? On the other hand, if you're a support person and you are perfectly happy to stay out of the spotlight and not be noticed by anyone because that's just where you're more comfortable, but God is asking you to go out. Maybe you're supposed to teach somebody. Maybe you're supposed to pray for somebody. Maybe you're supposed to talk to somebody. Are you going to do that? 
What it boils down to is, are you willing to fall flat on your face for Jesus? It's a question I'm asking myself a lot, because I don't like to look stupid, okay? But are you willing to do something that scares you, something that isn't your specialty, something that isn't comfortable to you, if Jesus asks you to do it, okay? We sang one of those songs this morning, and in it is a line that says, all that I am is yours. Not just my specialties and my strengths and my comfort zone is yours, but all that I am is yours. And we can say that because it's in a song and we like singing songs, but at some point, the rubber is going to meet the road and you and I are going to have to decide what that looks like for us. Are we really truly available to God? Is everything that we are truly his or are we holding back on him? Okay. As an example, maybe I'm speculating just a little tiny bit, but I don't think a lot. I'm not sure how much experience that Peter and Andrew and James and John had with public speaking, okay? They, they were fishermen as a trade. They, they spent time on the boat, probably with each other. I'm sure they were comfortable with each other. I'm sure they, you know, did business in places and talked to people about things relating to business, but I'm not sure how many times they had experience addressing an entire crowd of people, and yet somewhere, because of their relationship to Jesus and what Jesus sent them out to do, Peter, at least, winds up preaching the gospel to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, even though that was not his thing, his specialty, right? These were among the ones that Jesus entrusted with his message and told to go spread it. The Holy Spirit gives us the gifts as he wills, and our job, when he asks us to, is to step out in faith and do the things that he is asking us to do. Our friends in Keene were having an identity crisis. They said, I'm trying to stay awake and to remember my name. I'm trying to figure out who I am and what my role is in this place because everything around me is changing. And a lot of us are trying to do the same thing. Okay, let me encourage you, if you are a Christian, and let me uh, inform you, if you're not a Christian, that your identity is not your job. Your identity is not your set of interests, the amount of money in your bank account, the, the skills or lack thereof that you bring to the table. It's not your education level. It's not rep- your reputation. It's not your track record because these things all change. Everybody's changing, even you, okay? Your circumstances will change. Your abilities will change. Your interests will change. Your friends will change. Your life will continue to change. But Jesus does not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we put our trust in him, As we obey him, as we live our lives according to his commandments and his teachings, we are, according to him, like a wise man who builds our house upon the rock. Rain comes, wind blows, water rises, but the house stands. So I want to encourage you this morning to make Jesus your identity. Finally, we look at work. And I believe that work um, represents the, the search for satisfaction. The final image in the two verses we read this morning are a, <clears throat> a contrast of two seemingly opposing goals, right? The, the, the goal and the desire to rest and the goal and the desire to eat, okay? You can't eat unless you work, and you can't work if you're resting, okay? So how do those things fit together? Okay, we have an image of a person or people who wake up early and go to sleep late, and they eat, but they eat the bread of, of what Solomon calls anxious toil, okay? This person seems either unable or unwilling to rest. And as we consider our work and our lives, a lot of us are going to fall into one of those two categories. Okay, and I think God has something to say to, to folks in each of those categories. But, but note, first of all, that Solomon does not make a qualification that it's in vain for this group of people, but not in vain for this kind of people, for, for these kind of people. Okay, in typical Solomonian fashion, he calls the grind 
Okay, if I can just use that term. He calls the grind, no matter why you're on it, he calls it vain. What if you're unable to rest? Okay, what if you find yourself wondering where the next meal is going to come from? What if you find yourself wondering how you're going to have the money to fix your car? What if you find yourself wondering uh, how you're going to pay your bills? How are you going to meet your deductible for your house so that your insurance kicks in if you were one of the ones who experienced that damage? What can I or what can anyone else say to you that isn't trite or vague or pat or inconsiderate in some way or another? Well, I find myself coming back to what Jesus said. And he says this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Now, I think sometimes in our, in our attempts to, uh, to encourage and to comfort each other, we try to make it sound like, well, you don't actually have anything to worry about. But that's not the case. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here at all. The point is not that there's nothing to be anxious about, because God knows that poverty is all too real. God knows that your hunger is real. God knows that your circumstances are real, that the, the, the amount or lack thereof money that you have is real. But the point is this. Our anxiety does not produce anything. It just doesn't. It's not helpful. You cannot worry another dollar into your bank account. You cannot worry another meal onto your plate. You cannot worry a job offer into existence. Jesus says you cannot worry a single hour to your span of life. Now, I'd argue that it kind of does the opposite, but that's a whole other conversation to have. Okay? Not only that, but the things that we're prone to worrying about, the things that we feel anxious about, food, money, clothing, they're temporary. Right? You get food, you eat food, then you need more food. <laughs> you get clothes, you wear clothes, they wear out, and you need more clothes. You earn money, you spend money, you got to go make more money. Okay? Why do we worry about these things? Why do we let these kind of things eat us alive? We need something that's going to satisfy us forever. We need the living water of Jesus. We need to never be thirsty again. What if you are unwilling to rest? What if you just refuse to be content? You have enough, you have plenty, but you just want a little more security. You want a little more money in the bank account. You want a slightly better position at work. You want to finish every project, finish up your to-do list, whatever it is, before you're, you're willing to say, okay, I'm good. I'll chill. I'll take a break. I'll rest. Okay? You and I both know that when we start a sentence with, I'll feel like I have enough once, and then you fill in the blank, okay? We probably won't actually feel that way when it actually comes. It's almost like we have some sort of addiction to worrying. We just don't know how to not worry. We just don't know how to not stress out. But Solomon says it's in vain that we eat the bread of anxious toil because God gives his beloved sleep. Here's what I wonder about. In, in, in my marriage, um, as soon as my, my head hits the pillow at night, I'm asleep. Okay? If I'm tired enough, I'll just fall asleep and I get tired late at night. Okay? I know a lot of you can relate to that. My wife 
stays up late. We'll go to bed at 10.30 and um, she'll tell me the next morning that she finally fell asleep around one o'clock because that's when her mind gets going. Now I'm the opposite where, you know, I can't remember what night it was, but at one night this week, there was a really bad storm. And at 3.30 in the morning, I heard the thunder. I heard the lightning. I was thinking about, you know, what the contractor said about how we should put tarp up and we didn't do that and water might get in. And I was, you know, as soon as I have some sort of thought relating to the outside world, I'm awake after a certain hour. I don't know what it is, but I'm just up. What keeps you up? What gets you up? Are you Are you getting up early because you don't have time to get everything done that you absolutely need to get done? Are you getting up early because you want to make sure that you have time to relax and have fun? Are you getting up early to pursue your hobby? Do you stay up late because you're worried about your budget and everything working out? Or because there are people in your life that you're worried and concerned about? God gives his beloved sleep. Some of you, maybe this is prophetic, I don't know. Some of you just need to sleep. Some of you need to take a nap today. Honestly. We need to be relieved of our worry. And in Jesus Christ, we find peace that surpasses understanding. We need to be satisfied. And in Jesus, we find satisfaction. We find the living water, which we drink and we never thirst again. We need to rest. And in Jesus Christ, we find rest for our weary souls because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Solomon, the wisdom guy in scripture, was in tune with the fact that we're in search of significance, identity, and satisfaction. But Jesus, who is himself the wisdom of God, is in tune with that too. Because, here's the deal, in the gospel, the Lord is building the house. This is what Peter says about it. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So Psalm 127 is not some distant, far off, vague thing. It's like God is taking the image of building the house from Psalm 127, giving it to Peter, and Peter saying it to you and I. The Lord is building the house. In the gospel, the Lord is in fact watching the city. Jesus, as he's talking about his sheep, says in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. He's watching over you. And in the gospel, God is giving his beloved sleep. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to encourage you because we're about to sing a final song. I want to encourage you to go ahead and stand up. If you're new around here, this is the part where we continue in worship, but we also provide the opportunity and the space for you to receive prayer. And the impression I'm getting this morning, the call I want to put out to you this morning is that some of you are building and building and building, and you need to let the Lord build your house. You need to let him do the work. Some of you are breaking your back to have your role, your place in the world, and you just need the understanding that God is the one who provides your identity and your significance, and you need to be relieved of that work, of that labor. You're working really, really hard trying to find your place in the world, and you need a break. If that's you, I want to encourage you. You're welcome to come as soon as you want, right up here on this side. This is the right-hand side 
of the stage. And others of you are just worried. You're worried about anything and everything. Maybe it's something in your marriage. Maybe it's something in your health. Maybe it's something in your finances. Whatever it is, God knows we have plenty of reasons to be worried. But I keep coming back to this idea that God doesn't want us wasting our time and our energy on worry. There's a reason Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? It's fruitless. It's pointless. And we need to find rest. If that's you, if you are worried about how tired you are and tired of worrying all the time, if that's you, I want to encourage you to come up to the left-hand side of the stage. And we have prayer people stationed throughout the, uh, the room here, and they're going to come and they're going to pray for you. And God might tell them something specific that they want to say to you. You're welcome to tell them whatever you want to, to, to receive prayer about, but they're also just going to lay their hands on you and pray. And I want to encourage you this morning not to miss the opportunity to draw near to God in prayer and have somebody pray for you. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for Psalm 127 and, and for pointing out to us just how vain it is that we try to go through our lives and not include you in them. God, we were made for you. We were made to know you. We were made to love you. And we were, made, we were made to be known and loved by you as well. Thank you, God, that you are building the house. Thank you, God, that you are building us up into a spiritual house that we want to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable through Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, that you draw near to us. Thank you that you watch out for us. Thank you that you are watching over us even now, that there is not a single hair that falls from our head that you're not aware of. We praise you and we thank you for that. Father, we also want to thank you finally that you give us rest. God, some of us have been worried to death. Some of us are exhausting ourselves, trying to figure out how everything is going to work, how we're going to make it to the next thing, how we're going to see tomorrow, God, if that's not too, too dramatic for me to say. And we just need you to come along and we need your peace. God, we recognize that by worrying, we can't make anything happen, but that you provide, that you come through. And so Father, would you come near us and would you give us your peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make any sense. We don't get why it happens. We don't get why all we need is just to be close to you and just to be near you. But I know that that's true. And so, Father, I just ask and pray that you would draw near to us this morning. Calm our hearts. Give us peace. Provide for our needs because you are our provider and we believe that. But, Father, most of all, I just want to pray that you would relieve us from the struggle that you would rebuke the enemy, that you would work against him who's trying to make us uh, worry and, 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 and make us just sick to death, God. Trying to figure out what's gonna happen. God, when we're trying to control things, I pray that you'd wrestle the control out of our hands. I pray, God, that as we come before you this morning, we would be totally open to you, totally available to you to do what you wanna do in our lives, to say what you wanna say to us, to encourage us where we need encouraged, to slow us down where we need to be slowed down. God, ultimately, to put our heads on the pillow at night and just to rest. Thank you that you give us sleep. Let's pray this in Jesus' name.